Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello and welcome to a Thursday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by Robert O'Neill of SB Nation. Robert, good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? I'm great, Chase. How are you doing? I am pretty solid. Um, where did you get your Dallas Cowboys hat? Uh, so that is actually from the team store in AT&T Stadium. Because um, mm. I went down there for the Royal Rumble this year. So, you know, we went through Dallas, we went through Austin, and then, uh, you know, ended up in Houston, kind of made a vacation out of it. So, yeah, that is straight from the team store. Okay. I like it. I like it. It's part it, of your brand now, you know. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, it's been a, a bright spot for this year. And uh, that's that's been good. I like it. I like it. Um, before we get into some actual wrestling, because as we talked about before we started recording this afternoon, Robert, um, Christmas is apparently next week. Um, uh, I want to get your very spicy take. What is your, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Favorite Christmas movie? Uh, it's probably still Christmas Vacation. You know, mm. I know the cool thing is to be like, oh, Die Hard, which, you know, we that discussion's been had so many times. Like, oh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? And Die Hard's a fine movie. You know, think what you want about it. But, you know, in terms of just like pure Christmas movie, I would definitely probably still go with Christmas Vacation. Interesting. Okay. I, I like it. Mine is probably still Jingle All the Way. I still, <clears throat> I, I can't escape jingle all the way it makes me happy seeing sinbad and schwarzenegger and um just i i don't know i i love it like i love turbo man i i can't escape it yeah, i mean that's a good choice too though you know um you got a really good cast there obviously you know, talk about sinbad you talk about arnold schwarzenegger uh phil hartman yeah I mean, you know what is his it's, line it's like your wife's cookies are delight are to die for or something like he he's just he's great <laughs> yeah and i like how the whole like secondary plot of that movie is phil hartman's trying to get with arnold's wife <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty awesome um yeah i might end up watching that this weekend who knows who knows um well i would watch it this weekend if there wasn't a billion wrestling shows to watch unfortunately robert as as you know everything's happening crossovers are happening to ensure that we watch as much wrestling content as possible mlw is back in the fold roh is taping shows new japan in full force like it uh it's a lot how do you how do you divide up your time every week on wrestling yeah so i mean it's pretty much uh Still, like, Raw and SmackDown, which, I mean, Raw's been tough to get through lately, but, you know, it kind of just is a comfort thing at this point. And then NXT and AEW, uh, usually one live and then one right after. Um, and then, you know, I'm usually just watching whatever on the network. I got uh, 2004 rewatch at the moment that's coming to an end and going to roll over to 2005. So it's a lot of wrestling. You know, I don't watch too much other stuff other than, like, college basketball college football and then i'll you know get the nba back going uh, next week which that'll be fun but yeah i mean it's it's a lot of content and i haven't really gotten into ring of honor impact or you know mlw and i know there's a lot of good stuff going on there it's just you know do i want to commit that much more time per week to wrestling because there's just so much of it yeah i i'm right there with you um which brings me to a very important question that i know you're gonna be excited about how much time are you going to give NXT India when it uh, starts <laughs> popping up on your <laughs> network feed? How much time are you giving it? Yeah, you know, India's 
an interesting place for them to be branching out um, because well, they're going up really against Rinka to... King, so this is going to yeah. be huge for them. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you don't really think of India as kind of a wrestling hotbed. I think you know, kind of as a normal average fan, but there's it's it's growing there, so it's going to be interesting. Um, I think I've watched NXT UK like once this year, and that was when uh, Walter and Ilya Dragoff had that match. Mm. Um, so I'm probably not going to watch NXT India a whole bunch, but you know, it'll it'll be interesting. I watch the pay per views. That's it. I, I'm not mm. watching the weekly television. Like, um. I <laughs> my one thing that I wish would happen they'll never do this but I think this is something that would probably salvage a lot of raw and NXT like just if they blended and just turned NXT like one of the 3 hours of raw into just the 1 hour NXT that would be my dream scenario just make raw a 2 hour show and then have NXT be the kickoff show to raw um would be awesome that is what I would prefer. They end up doing so Raw's nine to eleven and NXT's eight to nine on Mondays because the NXT um AEW stuff on Wednesday. I, I hope this is not rollover into another full year of having both on the same night. I, I don't want that anymore. And I know Tuesday seems the most likely, but I don't know. The more content I feel bad, it's more jobs for wrestlers, which is good. Um that is something that you always gotta think about. It's just like, well, this the industry uh, is tough it's tough on a lot of wrestlers and their families and everything and i i want to see them uh succeed and get opportunities to go different places and make money uh, but at the same time i get really annoyed because i'm just like this is more content i don't want this who wants this who wants more i don't want more yeah no exactly it's it's a struggle and uh you know, that's kind of what's nice about DVRs and on demand is that, you know, if you do end up DVRing one of the shows, like one of the, you know, WWE or AEW shows, you can get through it usually about an hour and 20 minutes instead of two hours when you factor in commercials. So that's nice, even though they've started to do this picture in picture thing where there are no true commercials anymore. So I don't know. It's, it's a lot. It is a lot. Um, some news and rumors I want to get into before we talk about NXT and AEW. Um, Goldberg versus Roman Reigns seems like the the most likely scenario for WrestleMania next year. And if there are fans, Brock versus Drew versus maybe Keith Lee or something. Um, what do you what are you thinking about the proposed two big WrestleMania title matches at this point? You know what the thing is is I like Goldberg a lot, um, even still. I love and Goldberg. I think Goldberg. Yeah. And I think Goldberg and Reigns is, you know, one of those true kind of dream matches still remaining. You know, you got the spear versus spear and all that. I don't know that I would do it at WrestleMania just because, you know, you're doing this thing where Roman Reigns is kind of undisputedly the top guy now. He kind of seems to finally have fans behind him as much as you can gauge that with no fans in the crowd. And he's only really had one premier elite WrestleMania match, and that was the first match against Brock Lesnar that you know, Seth Rollins ended up being the big finish anyway. So I think you need Roman to kind of have signature WrestleMania match where, you know, you could do that against someone like Daniel Bryan or, you know, Big E if he wins the Royal Rumble or whatever, instead of someone like Goldberg, which will be an attraction whenever you do it. You know, if you want to do it at the Royal Rumble, you want to do it at SummerSlam, whatever. I just, it, it might not be worth doing at WrestleMania. Yeah. I mean, you could do it at Royal Rumble and then set up uh, Roman versus um, especially if there's no fans. So like the idea that it matters mm. more to do it at WrestleMania versus Royal Rumble is silly. Um, they also did uh rock punk at Royal Rumble. It's not like they're afraid to do big time matches 
at the Royal Rumble. Um, I would pro I would agree with you, and I think if they could set up Biggie to do, I I just here's the thing about Biggie or elevating somebody like that to face Roman at WrestleMania. We just saw what happened to Drew without fans, like his rise, having the crowd in a sign for the Rumble, and then winning WrestleMania in a snoozer, and no moment for him. He's had a, a really boring year and a boring title run. It's just been tough, and he hasn't been able to get the crowd reaction, so we don't really know where he stands as a draw and as someone that fans want to get behind. I just would be nervous about putting Big E in that same spot next year. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, that's fair. And then, uh, you know, with the other one, you talk about Brock against Drew against Keith Lee. I think that's pretty intriguing, um, you know, more intriguing than just doing a straight-up Brock against Drew match again. Um, I mean, you know, and there's, there's a story a there lately. with Keith Lee and yeah. Brock Lesnar looking at each other at WrestleMania and the or Royal Rumble and looking at the big boy and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. And, you know, there's been a ton of talk the past couple of weeks about Keith Lee, how, you know, they want him to change up what he's doing a little bit, you know, read into that what you want. I think, I think that would be a really good triple threat match. Um, I am excited to see Brock Lesnar eventually come back just because we don't know how much time we have left with him. He's getting up there in age. And I think he is a guy that is still, you know, a true attraction can still go. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be a really captivating triple threat. And as much as I like Brock, I think they just can't have him win that. Yeah, I I do love that Brock's just like, uh, call me when fans are back. <laughs> and they're like, all right, we'll do. Thanks, Brock. Um, I, I love that. I love the, just the guy. He's just an all-time using his leverage wrestler. And it's it's great. Um, and then you have The Rock, who's basically like, I, I'll do the Roman match, but I'm not doing it until 2022, which, again, smart. Um, and these wrestlers using their leverage, and I think there will be more buildup. And if you give Reigns a s- couple of years of seasoning with this role, then it will feel like a bigger match and a full year of fans in front of uh, Reigns and being at the head of the table. Um, I think it's all very good. Um, last news and notes, we saw that uh, Raw had its worst rating ever. Um, all hands on deck. It was a wake up call. We saw those reports in the dirt sheets as we expected on Tuesday. Um, what do you expect to change? I my early expectation is you got to just elevate the Ricochet Retribution storyline to the main event spot. You gotta you gotta put prop that up. You gotta make sure that that is getting more and more attention because I think fans have been chomping at the bit to get more Ricochet uh, Retribution action. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm the being very facetious. Angle, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's uh, the retribution angle has been a bit of a disaster. I think we can all agree on that. You know, I think the interesting thing with the raw rating, you know, they're about to not have Monday Night Football to deal with anymore. You assume people like Edge will be back soon. You know, Brock Lesnar, we talked about, he'll be back soon. Um, Charlotte will be back soon. These are people that are, you know, draws, but it is it's tough to get engaged in a three hour show, too. And I think, you know, not having fans really plays a number in that too. But at the same time, SmackDown is just probably doing like a half million more people every week than Raw. So I don't know kind of what the difference is, what the fix is. I, I've enjoyed like the main title program with Raw and a decent amount of the Fiend stuff. And that's about it. So I think, you know, part of it is building up kind of people lower down the card as well, kind of giving everyone direction. And that's, kind of the flip side of having a three-hour show you have plenty of time to do this so it's just it's going to be interesting to see what they do because you know they've they've obviously had plenty of ideas in the past to fix raw and then abandon them because it hasn't really worked so eventually 
you know, you're going to have to catch fire. You're going to have to find one that works. It's just a matter of, you know, what is that? Yeah. The three hour show is just always going to be an impediment to it being a good show. It just, it's too long. Like you can't make mm-hmm. a three hour wrestling show. You just can't. And it, uh, it'll always be a problem, but they don't care. And Vince McMahon's what we, we just, as wrestling fans just have short memories because he talked about this. Remember on that conference call a couple months ago where he just talked about like, yeah, I don't really give a shit about ratings. Um, I, I, I look at like they made more money than they've ever have as a company this past year. They do crazy numbers on YouTube. They look at all these other different variables of like how popular their product is outside of television ratings that I don't think, I, I don't necessarily believe that Vince and Triple H and company and the higher ups care all that much about Raw's ratings or even SmackDown or even NXT's. I really don't. No, and I agree with you. I mean, you look at television ratings in general for sports like that. I think everyone except the NFL has gone down in the past couple of years. And, you know, from the network standpoint, you're getting, you know, three hours of brand new content, 52 weeks a year for relatively cheap when you price it out per episode over the TV deal. So it's like, it's kind of an issue. You know, their, their ratings are kind of more down than you would like, but everyone's ratings are down. It'll probably ultimately be fine. I agree. I agree. Um, and the, the three hour stuff's never going away. They're never going backwards. Uh They're never getting rid of that. So let's just stop fantasy booking on that front. Um, did you like AEW this week, Robert? You know, this week was the first week, I think in a couple weeks where it felt like AEW was just kind of there. Um, and that's okay. I mean, they'll, they'll have shows like that. Everyone loves shows like that. It just kind of felt like, they were just kind of going through the motions a little bit after coming off a high of the past couple of weeks. And like I said, that's fine. You know, I think, uh, I think the opening match was pretty good. I don't really care to watch Matt Hardy work, but it got the job done. Um, and I think uh, Joey Janelle and Kenny Omega was pretty good as well. And then everything else was just kind of in the middle, but you know, that's going to happen They're uh, They don't have any really big shows coming up except for, I know they're on after the NBA next week, obviously. And they have, uh, you know, Snoop Dogg showing up in a couple weeks. But as far as like big shows, like they just did a couple weeks ago with uh, Kenny against Mox or, you know, even pay-per-views, obviously they don't really have any coming up. So sometimes you're going to have a show that's just kind of there and it, it just is what it is. But overall, I mean, I've enjoyed AEW more than I think I thought I would. Um, you know, I, I really started watching it over the spring. I didn't watch it when it first came on. And, uh, I watch it, you know, pretty much every week now, and there's a lot of good stuff that I enjoy there. Yeah, um, I think it's just one of those things that's natural. Like the the high, the winter is coming stuff happened, and it's kind of like a reset. They're trying to figure out where they're going, um, going into next year, and who's going to be where, and who who to build around, all that kind of stuff. Um, I <laughs> I'm starting to wonder what Adam Page's future is, though. Like now that he's lost, he's lost a lot of big matches in his time in uh, AEW. He's out of the elite. He doesn't have Kenny anymore. He's doing stuff with the Dark Order. I, I don't know. Like Paige is really falling down the card, and I wonder how you, how you just, I don't know how you fix that. Like, is it fixable? Do you think that? Are you at all worried about Adam Page's future in AEW? Yeah, I mean a little bit. When you look at you know at uh, All Out, he was the guy challenging Jericho for the title for the first time. And, you know, he hasn't held even the TNT championship uh, 
anything like that. So it's kind of like, what are you doing with him? Because he's obviously a guy that can uh, put on a really good performance. And I think a lot of people connect with him really well. So I am a little confused what they're doing with him at the moment. You know, I, I, I did enjoy the match uh, last night, like I said, uh, against Matt Hardy and private party, but I don't get the purpose of it. It just kind of felt like, you know, here's something for you to do for the week and then we'll go from there. So, yeah, I mean, Adam Page is really a guy that I am a little worried about going forward because he doesn't have a clear direction where a lot of people on AEW do have that clear direction. Yeah, and maybe that's the storyline is that he doesn't have a clear direction anymore and he's a lost soul. That may be the direction. Um, And that could be interesting because there's really no avenue. Like, AEW is getting outside of the women's division, which still needs to keep adding bodies. um, Mm -hmm. They have have just... a plethora of talent they've signed so many people there's so many talented people in this company now that like there's just not a lot of space and especially considering that they don't have a lot of pay-per-views every year anyway there's just not a lot of room so he's just kind of got to fall by the wayside for a while because there's just like we're trying to figure out where moxley goes like how do you book moxley in 2021 like what how much do you keep him away from omega after that feeds over and like what what do you do to make sure that he is still felt like the biggest deal on the show um I don't know. I think they're, this is going to get complicated for them because Moxley's the best person in that company. He's just an absolute star. He's probably the best professional wrestler in the world right now. That like, How do you keep that fire hot? I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of interesting things um, that they're going to have to consider and work through um, going into next year. Uh, do you like Kenny's next challenger? Um, You know... It's, it kind of is what it is. Um, I'm not a huge Kenny Omega guy in general. Oh, so no. It's, yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's grown on me a little bit, but, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of his. I think, uh, you know, wherever they go from here, it'll be fine. But, you what know, do you not they, like about Kenny Omega? I mean, it's, it's not entirely his fault, but this style of wrestling where, and you see this with the NXT pay-per-views too, where, it just, you need to have in your main events got to be like a 35 minute match with 700 finishers. I'm not a fan of that. And he kind of pioneered that, uh, you know, a few years ago where they really started bringing that style in. And now it's just everything you see on both of these shows. And I don't think you necessarily need that to tell a story, but you know, he, he has grown on me a little bit, but that's kind of my big thing with him. And he doesn't do it as much in AEW as he did it, you know, before coming to AEW. So that's good. But that's kind of my main gripe with him. Interesting. See, that's, I have the opposite gripe with Kenny Omega. I think in terms of working, like I, I love Kenny Omega matches more than just about any other wrestler in the world. Maybe Kyler Riley is right there. Like, here's my top three. Probably if I have to watch like any professional wrestling match that I know I'm going to enjoy and just look at as like a banger, it's O'Reilly, Omega, and probably TJP, um, which always catches people off guards. But I'm like, did you watch Manic Chris Bay this week? Like, that dude, uh, he, he is just the most fluid professional wrestler I've ever seen. Like, that dude, I don't know where he gets the energy. I don't know how he pulls off what he pulls off. There's a reason he won the Cruiserweight Classic. Like, that dude is just fun. And Kyle Riley is just so unique and versatile that I just, I love his offense. And I love, like, everything he does. He kind of has, like, a Daniel Bryan vibe to me. But, um... I, I think those are my top three. Like any kind of match they're in, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll watch it. 
Yeah. And no, I mean, that's fair. See, I, I think the big difference is for me, like one of my guys on that list would be Brock Lesnar, who just works okay. fundamentally differently than all three that you said. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's where our difference comes in. That's fair. Um, I also would, I will always watch a Goldberg match. People are like, I don't like, I'm like, oh no, I will. I'm here for a Goldberg match. They're, they're always hilarious. Um, oh yeah. The opposite being Brandy Rhodes, who congratulations to Brandy and Cody on uh, the announcement of their future child. Did you see Barry Ladd, friend of the pod, tweet out what the name he thinks that they're going to name uh, their kid, their future child? I did. I that, did. Was, that was great. It, it's so funny. And that whole thread is incredible about all the different... <laughs> I, I hope it's one of them. That would make me so happy. Um, NXT. Did you like NXT this week? I did. You know, uh, you bring up Kyle O'Reilly. I think he uh, had another great match with Pete Dunne. Um, you know, there's a ladder match a couple of weeks ago leading up to war games, but, and they're going into Kyle O'Reilly against Finn Balor again, but it seems like it might be time to, you know, let Kyle have the title. I mean, he's, he's done great work really when he's had singles opportunities the past couple of years, but I think it's really shined through, uh, you know, this summer into right now where they're finally letting him have more singles opportunities and he's showing kind of the guy he was before he got to NXT as well when he would have single opportunities. And yeah, I know I'm, I'm all in on Kyle O'Reilly. I am as well. And I hope it's going to be interesting because he is now at a point where he's got to win something big to kind of establish himself as a top single star. Um, I don't think he's going to beat Finn Balor, but it wouldn't like blow me away. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's if you're going to do that match a second time after we saw it at TakeOver, uh, you know, three months ago or yeah. whatever, you have to have something planned. So either Kyle's going to win or you have to assume this is where the Undisputed Era finally starts to show cracks and, you know, break up, which is kind of what I thought they were going to go with uh, a couple months ago Yeah, before they just turned face and, you know, did war games again. So. I think you got to do something here because if you just have Finn beat him again and everything stays the same, like what's the point of it all? I think you do the 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 Robert Strong, <laughs> um, the uh, Roderick Strong um, backbreaker. That's what I do. I, I yeah, he cannot be a babyface. He's just so bland as babyface. But also, I should probably include him in like just outside of the top three of I'll watch any Roddy Strong match um, just because that guy's just a monster too. But um, oh, yeah. Bobby Fish being out, I don't know what that changes for them, and I don't really know what the latest is on Fish. How long is he out? Yeah, I haven't really seen. Um, you know, it's he's getting I, like DMP old. Like that's where he's at. Like he just gets DMP old. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize he's forty five. Yeah, he's old as shit. Yeah, <laughs> like I knew he was old, but yeah, forty five. That is crazy. Yeah, he's significantly older than the other three there. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's probably what I would do is I would just have, if you're not comfortable with putting the belts on O'Reilly, you just have Roddy Strong turn on him and then Cole just losing his mind because Roddy turned on him. But it also is a callback to the way he got into Undisputed Era by um, surprising everybody by hitting the the backbreaker. Who did he hit it on? I don't even remember now. Um, Who was that? When Adam Cole's like, oh, yeah, and they were all surprised that he hit it. And who was he tagging with at the time? I don't remember now. Because he was with, I want to say he was with the Authors of Pain that year. Um, But it wasn't the Authors of Pain that he was in the tag match with, that he actually turned. Was it Danny Burch and Oni? I don't know. Oh, yeah. That that sounds, yeah. That must be it. 
Um, no, you know what? It was Pete Dunn. It was Pete oh, Dunn. Yes, no, it was. Yes, correct. it was Pete Dunn. I just the... remembered. It's yeah. Pete Dunn. Yep. Okay, there you go. Everything comes full circle because <laughs> Kyle O'Reilly just beat Pete Dunn. Um, speaking of stables, Robert O'Neill, do you like the Gargano stable? You know, I like the Johnny and Candace part a lot more than I thought I would. I think their vignettes uh, are very good, and mm. they've gotten me to care about Johnny Gargano again, which I didn't think was possible after the past couple of years. You know, I'm not the biggest Austin Theory guy, um, and I think Indy Hartwell has some sort of a future. I think, uh, you know, with the crowded women's division in NXT, it'll take a little bit for her to uh, really get her spot, but as a whole, I think it's a good stable. I think, uh, you know, it's it's a good way to use Gargano if he's going to be a heel. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm interested in seeing kind of where it goes. Yeah, I, I love heel Candice and Johnny at this point. I think they're very good. They've they figured it out, and this is good. I'm with you on the Austin Theory thing, though. Um, the Theory stuff just sucks because, like, I wrote about him, like, <sighs> 2020 is just such a long year and I'm trying to remember what part of 2020 I wrote about Austin theory, but he just was like, Oh, this Vincent man's going to love this dude. And that's why he was called up so quickly. And I'm like this guy, but he's actually a great professional wrestler and he's super young. And he's like one of the few like young NXT guys who you're like, Oh, they could get, give him the call up and all that kind of stuff. And Kona Reeves kind of fit that bill three years ago and that hasn't panned out. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, the off, out of the ring stuff that you're just like, eh, probably would release him mm-hmm. if I was in charge here. I would just cut bait and release him, but uh, yes. they're clearly not going to do that. Um, the next NXT Women's Champ will be who? Ooh, I mean, that is really interesting because you know the end of War Games or you know, the end of their War Games match, it looked like they were going to go with Raquel Gonzalez, but we haven't really you know, seen EO, I don't think since war games. So, and all the other women are, uh, you know, sticking with stuff to do. I think, you know, they seem to be building up Tony storm. I think you could get to that where she's the next women's champion. Maybe if they do a takeover mania weekend, depending on how that looks, I think that's probably the time to, uh, crown her, but I don't think EO loses it for quite some time. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Last thing, the TLC pay-per-view is happening this weekend. I know you're you're pumped up, Robert, that there's another WWE pay-per-view this weekend. Um, what are you excited about? What are you not looking forward to on this on this card? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I think uh, Roman Reigns, Kevin Owens could have one of the best matches of the year. But those are, you know, two more guys that I'll watch, you know, every time they're on, kind of like we talked about a little bit ago. Um. I don't know exactly what they plan to do with uh, Asuka now that they wrote Lana out because it seemed like they were telling a story where, you know, Lana and Asuka would win the titles and now Asuka's out or uh, Lana's out. So that's going to be kind of interesting. I think Sasha Banks against Carmella hasn't really had the build it should have. Um, You know, you want to prop up Sasha Banks so much. I I only do so much with Carmella. That's the issue. Um. I'm not super looking forward to those two. I think, uh, you know, the fiend against Randy Orton became an inferno match as of today. That's going to be interesting. We haven't seen one of those in a while. And then, yeah, I mean, everything else, you know, you got Drew McIntyre against AJ Styles. That's going to be good. Um, 
New Day against Hurt Business, they've wrestled quite a bit of times uh, in the past few weeks, but they're two teams that I'll always enjoy watching. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's really not a ton of stuff that I dislike on this show. And that's that's been one good thing about uh, the pay-per-views of this era, where they're keeping them short, they're keeping them six or seven matches, we're out of there in, you know, two and a half hours, kind of like it used to be back in the day, Yeah, where, you know, only like, quote unquote, the most important stuff makes the card and everything else kind of gets situated elsewhere. Like, you know, they'll, they'll run like a 25 minute intercontinental championship match on SmackDown before the pay-per-view because they don't want to put it on the pay-per-view and it's usually just as good. So I've liked that. I've, I've liked how they've done the pay-per-views in general. And yeah, I mean, I'm actually, I'm looking forward to TLC. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think styles versus Drew will be interesting and probably very good. Um, Maybe get some some what is his name Jordan what is his name the uh, Styles bodyguard I'll never remember his actual name is it Jordan uh, Jordan uh, yeah Jordan okay um I I'm really excited more than anything else for Jay Uso Daniel Bryan like I think that has the opportunity to just be a banger if it gets the most amount of time and um I don't know I think Jay has just grown so much this year that you can't have him win this. Because Dan, if you really want to do a big Daniel Bryan Roman Reigns feud, he has to he has to beat Jey Uso here. But like, I hope they give them time and let Jey Uso do a lot of a lot of cool stuff here because he has really earned his keep and he's got some strong some strong Jeff Hardy vibes. I think. Yeah, no, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I just think fans are gonna like that's another guy. He is another victim of the no fans era. Because I really, really think fans would have latched on and really sunk their teeth into his character evolution this year. That I, I think he has just been hurt by that. Not hurt in the sense that like he it's going to hurt his trajectory, but I really do think he is someone that would have catapulted up WWE higher ups minds just by having um, fan reactions because he's just been so good and he is delivered in the ring, on the mic, everywhere, backstage. I, I just think he is a budding babyface star um, on his own. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. And, you know, when we do eventually get fans back, it is going to be interesting to see just kind of how they react in the first place. Because it seems like the first you know, few weeks they're back, everyone's just going to be happy to be there and kind of cheering everything. And then we'll kind of settle back into, you know, fans like this person, they don't like this person, all of that. But, I mean, who knows when that's going to even happen at this point. Who is your prediction for the first wrestler to say, you people? Who who does it when fans are back? Who does it first? Oh, man. Um, I would go with Seth Rollins, but I don't know, you know, if he's going to come back as a heel or... Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll, I'll stick with Seth, um, but I could also see Roman Reigns if... If Seth's not around or if he comes back in the face. Interesting. I like it. I like it. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I've got, Robert. Is there anything else that you would like to blow before you wrap up here? Uh, no. I mean, you just follow me on Twitter at Robert. I know 31. Um, it's a lot of sports and wrestling and general nonsense. And, uh, you know, we have a, we have a good time. All right. Go do that. Keep up the great work, my friend. And we will have to do this again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Trace. All 
right, we're back on the full ride on the Chase Thomas podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined, as I am every Thursday, Matt Green, fellow University of North Georgia alumni down there in Decula, Georgia. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. Nighthawks in the house. Nighthawks in the house. You, you, you love to see it. A um, lot of stuff to get through tonight, Matt Green. A lot, lot of news. The recruiting stuff is happening. Cody Brown, former... Uh, he, he, I guess, not even former, of my own high school, signed with Tennessee yesterday. Parby Panther following me, the big orange. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you love the continuity there, folks. You you love the continuity, so shout out to him. Um, are you exhausted by the amount of recruiting stuff that you've read this week? Um, I, I can't be exhausted, man. Recruiting, I, I love recruiting. Recruiting is what I'm all about, like, I'm a Georgia fan. This is all we have. You know, this is where we actually we can win this sometimes. But uh, but no, I uh, you're like Nick Saban when he was in the car with Marcus Spears and Marcus Spears is like, how do you find motivation? Do you ever get tired of winning? And Nick Saban just is like, he looks at him confusedly and it's just like tired of winning. What? Right. And it does like, not compute. Yeah, <laughs> it just doesn't. He's just like, what are you asking me? No, but yeah, it was a. I feel like it was a less eventful signing day than usual. It, it seemed like that you know, at Alabama had a couple of flips, but it seemed like people were kind of sure on some of those some of those bigger announcements. And there weren't really many of those like just huge five star announcements, but it seemed like people had a good idea of where everyone's going to go. We weren't really like too shocked by anything. I guess Corey Foreman. That's kind of one of the. I guess the big one of the bigger only big storylines kind of left is where he's going, like number one overall player in the country. Well, Terrence didn't sound, sign either. Yeah, and so I, you got to see he's one of I guess they're the only two five stars. Maybe there there might be one or two other ones, but um, but yeah. So it's it sounds like it's USC, Clemson, Arizona State, Mason Smith, and uh, Corey Foreman. They said they were going to play together for the longest time, but I don't know. It doesn't sound like LSU is as in play for him at this point, from what I hear. Yeah. Well, we'll get into all of that in just a second. Uh, don't forget, you can check us out at chasemospodcast.com. Go follow Matt at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Follow myself at Chase underscore Thomas. Go check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Like me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer as well. Uh, Matt Green, uh, what, uh, where are we at picks wise before we get into everything? Because this week, I think it's basically decided there's not enough ground for me to make up on the, the straight wins and losses but it's out from from my recollection on sunday we're very close in the actual against the spread standings that is that is correct so you still lead against the spread by two games you're 59 so this decides it oh yeah 59 53 and one and if nothing gets canceled you know we should have nine games to pick from this week so you're 59 53 and one against the spread i'm 57 55 and one and then overall i'm 73 and 40 to your 65 and 48 so still, still respectable records, but you know, just no match for for my uh, for my seventy three and forty record. Mm, mm, <laughs> mm. Well, um, you know, year one in the books. Hopefully, many more in the future. So it's something to build off. It's a uh, bulletin board material, and also Matt Green. I don't concern myself with the wins and losses because you know what, I'm a champion of life. People forget that. <laughs> Five star hearts. Yeah. Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. Um, all right, let's get into some news because there's just a lot to, to parse here before we get into this week's games. Um, 
national early national signing day uh what uh what was your biggest takeaways thus far i mean really just you know we say it every probably every year but alabama just stockpiling talent it's just kind of crazy i feel like in the last couple years it's probably a direct uh you know correlation with kirby smart and georgia kind of getting some of those elite players finally so alabama doesn't get all of the elite players from the southeast but um yeah it seems like this last couple classes you know they've kind of at least come back they're at least been mortal and signed like second and third ranked classes but this year they're back up like 300 and uh, the cumulative score on 24 7 composite of 319 like that's i think flirting with like the best class ever on on 24 7 sports so alabama just uh just loading loading up again i georgia i feel like uh there you know there's kind of that narrative starting with last year's class of oh can georgia you know can they still recruit the state can they lock down the state of georgia uh as well and this year they really they really proved that with with three of the with the top three commits in the state uh prospects in the state committing to georgia but then i also look at florida like down at number eight like that's a solid class but it's just kind of strange to me how the on-field success so early in Dan Mullen's history hasn't translated or in his tenure hasn't translated to better classes like eight eight is fine you know it's a good class but it's it's the fourth ranked class in the SEC I'm just I'm kind of shocked because of the tradition of Florida like we're used to seeing them traditionally you know getting the elite of the elite players Florida is just the most talent-rich state in the country as far as prospects go, and and they only signed three of the top 25 players in the state. So, I mean, you know, there's a little leeway in there because some of those guys being from IMG might not necessarily be from the state of Florida, but that's one thing that kind of puzzles me. Like here in the – you've said it, I remember a couple weeks ago, that it's the best – whatever 30 game start ever for a Florida head football coach. And yeah. it's interesting that is in his first two, three classes that you're still seeing them around 10, around eight, fourth, maybe fifth best in the sec. And then right now too, they're at eight with 25 commits. It's like, they got Miami, Texas A&M, Michigan, USC, North Carolina, all with like five or six less commits. Like, before the end of this, by by February signing day, like Florida might have the tenth or eleventh ranked class, and and that's that's strange for how how good they've been on the field so early in Dan Mullen's in t- his tenure. Yeah, and I you read different reports on what's going on there, and I remember Barton Simmons of two four seven, who's just like the most plugged in recruiting guy there is outside of like Bud Elliott, where it's just like I think there is like a disconnect with the way Florida recruits. It's just like they're. They just don't have that that kind of ace recruiter on staff. Like Bama has theirs, Oregon has theirs, um, Georgia has theirs, Ohio State has theirs. Like it, it seems like they don't have that kind of ace recruiter that the other premier schools in the country have. But like you said, number eight is still really good. Um, it's still good enough to have an, like that's enough blue chippers to compete for a national title. Like that's where they should be all the time florida has no excuse for not being in the top 10 all the time and it, it that's the thing it might be like eighth eighth is really good but when it's consistently fourth or fifth in the conference it might not be enough to compete with the national championship it's like that's really what mark rick was doing his whole the whole time he was competing. at georgia was signing the eighth ranked class in the country and 
Yeah, Georgia was really good, but how often did Georgia in Mark Rick's 15 years truly compete for a national title? You know, yeah. like maybe three, maybe four, that they were really like by the end of the year, they're one of the best five teams in the country or so. So well, Florida fans not take that. I mean, that's still really good. It's a lot better than the McIlwain Muschamp era. It's just like you, you think can't Florida get urban fans, all the time. You're not going to have the urban era forever. Like you just can't. Do you think have Florida fans would be okay, like truly having a national title contender three or four times in a 15 year span? Yeah, I don't. I I don't think they would. I don't think they'd be okay with that at all. Like, well, then they're I, unrealistic. Like, Imagine like being you, a Tennessee fan where you literally haven't competed for a national title in 20 years. Yeah, I mean, and that's true. But Florida fans, they are a little spoiled. So I, I, I don't know if they'd be okay with that. Because this year, like, they, it was, they were definitely a contender for the national title this year. The LSU loss, I don't know, because the, the rankings drop on one spot for losing to, to LSU, which is a whole other conversation. But so I guess if they win, if they beat Alabama, I guess they're probably in the playoff, right? So I don't but it's think not so, actually. Yeah, it's not even guaranteed. Yeah. Like it'd be weird to put Alab to uh put him in over Alabama, but I yeah, I just don't know. That's a whole other conversation. But so he's been here three years now, and you can you can't say that one of those years is an actual national title contender. And then next year, you know, if they lose a lot of seniors, that one's not either. So well, they're losing everybody this this year. Like, yeah, this that's it. what I'm saying. So, and if they're not recruiting at that level of LSU and of Georgia and Alabama, and they can't reload, then I don't but know. Eight is I, close. I, it, there's not eight like, is good. Eight is close. It's not like seventeenth, nine. It's not McElwain era. That's, like that's it's still fair. close. No, that's definitely. And it's also what you also have to give him a slight bump is the difference between like some schools recruit really well, but they don't have the like the head coach that can actually put it all together. Like PJ Fleck is recruiting really well, but he might not be the just a great head coach. James Franklin might not be the perfect coach for this. Like Clay Hilton, we'll get to USC maybe. They're recruiting really well. Manny Diaz, biggest winner maybe of anybody in the early signing period. Like we still don't know if he's going to be an elite uh, college football coach. So like Mullen can like Mullen with the number eight class is not as big of an indictment on him because like he's a top three coach. So like him having that much talent with how good of a head coach he actually is, is I think deserves a little bit more credence because we just know what he does with less. And that's a valid point for sure. And, and there's a chance just being at Florida and being in the state of Florida that, you know, he needs to be getting more than three of the top 25 players in the state to legitimately compete for national titles. In my opinion, but maybe, you know, these recruiting rankings aren't, you know, end-all, be-all. There's the diamond in the rough all the time. So there could just be so much talent in the state of Florida that getting the consistently getting, like, the 20th to 40th best players or 20th to 50th best players could also turn out to be dudes that are, like, first-round, second-round picks that are, like, elite talents. So you never know. There's a lot of talent to go around in Florida. But it is interesting how they just – how they haven't been necessarily – even see, like, when Butch Jones gets hired at Tennessee or somewhere, it's like – they have a class that's ranked third or fourth. They have that kind of spike early on because people are buying the the early mo- momentum. You know, they're buying the message, what what the what the the new guys selling and everything. So that was just an interesting observation to me. And another thing is, uh, I saw I, I don't know. Who, I want to give credit to somebody, but I saw a tweet that was there's six programs currently in college football that have won a college football playoff game, and those are the top six teams in this year's recruiting rankings. So oh, wow. it's, it is pretty interesting. 
winning matters. Um, Bama in the process to bring it back to like some actual specifics in regard to what happened this week. They flipped to the top prospects from Ordron's class, uh, four-star wide receiver, Jojo Earl of Texas, and then four-star defensive end Keanu Cote of Florida. Um, Earl 48th overall player coat number 198 overall player like Bama's going to finish number one recruiting and I think that's a uh, that's like the the best double whammy if you're a Bama fan is like finishing number one and also just kind of uh, hurting um, LSU in the process but if you're an LSU fan you got to feel good because you stole McGee from Tennessee the corner and Tennessee needs corners I don't know for if sure want. and that yeah and that Mason Smith pickup that was that was huge too um, perhaps the biggest stunner uh this week i don't know if you agree is jake garcia our favorite quarterback uh, on this podcast who somehow was eligible to play at grayson this fall um number 46 nationally flips to miami and miami suddenly rhett lashley getting them getting them on and uh, miami has a top 10 class like manny diaz is recruiting his ass off and uh they're they're not at the clemson level yet it's gonna take some time and most teams probably won't but like they are I, they are right there now and jake garcia is a huge get for them um Derek kings obviously has the opportunity to come back and he might come back we'll see but i uh i was pretty stunned about jake garcia landing in miami yeah without a doubt that's a huge uh signee for them and usc i guess the COVID thing like him them shutting down high school football in california like that cost USC their uh, their quarterback commit, but well, they got Jackson they Dark. Still, yeah, they ended up with two top ten quarterbacks. So Jackson we'll see how Dark that works out. is his name, I believe. Right, Jack. What a name. Yeah, man. Jackson <laughs> Dart and Miller and Miller Moss. That's an interesting name as well. General Boot. Also, yeah, going back to what you were that Alabama class. I'm I'm like low key disappointed that they flipped those two guys because JoJo Earl and Keanu Coat, like those just sound like LSU players, like. LSU guys, I feel like, always had these, like, interesting names. Like, I don't know. They always seem to be something about that Cajun. I don't know. They always have the have some interesting names down there. But moving on. <laughs> uh, Mississippi State. I love the rivalry Mississippi. It's the best. I, I'm just very, very happy that Lane Kiffin and um, Mike Leach are the head football coaches in the state of Mississippi because Mike Leach had a really crazy – amazing long answer regarding covid protocols this past week did you see that um i did not see that he went off on like a seven minute diatribe about all the different things so when people ask him about it, he's like well this is hard and then they do this and then we think that this is how it's going to be and then they, we get told we don't have this offensive lineman and then we get told we can use this quarterback and then the day before we're like you can't use this quarterback and like he literally just keeps going on and on and on about how mm-hmm. crazy the season is it's pretty great Kiffin trolling Nick Saban with his I will not be the head next head coach at Alabama line was fantastic. But he one-upped it this week by uh, tweeting out Mary Flipness because they flipped um, MJ Daniels, three-star athlete, from Mississippi uh, to uh, Ole Miss. So shout out to Lincoln. He also, uh, he also dropped an Always Sunny reference in the tweet, too. Did you see that? The I did. Flip, flip, yep. Philadelphia. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. Lane Kiffin, I feel like he, he he can give up coaching, honestly. He's got Twitter figured out. He's 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 quite good. Um But yeah, they signed what the eighteenth ranked class is big time class for Ole Miss. Yeah, and it's not enough to get the NCAA's eyes popping, you know, when he's <laughs> just jumping up to top five. Like we we all know Ole Miss 
should literally never be ever, ever, ever be in the top five ever. Like Kiffin knows that. So he's like, what can I do? What's the closest I can get before they're like, hmm, what is going on in Jackson? And 18, 15, that sounds about right. As high as yeah, you can it's go. like, all right, Kim Dietschy's brother plays for the team. We'll allow that one. Mm-hmm. How are you getting four more five stars? Like, you gotta, you gotta explain something here. I don't think people are lining up to play in the in Jackson, Mississippi. No, no offense, hotty toddy. We love you guys, but um, just in don't Jackson, think a lot of five stars are doing it. You talking about Oxford? Oh, Oxford. Why am I saying Jackson? The capital, of ja- like Oxford. I was, I was about to say Jackson State made a little uh headlines too stealing uh dijon nugget warren from <laughs> yeah. georgia you love dewan or dijon i heard it said multiple times but that dude was a big time he was like the second ranked uh juco player in the country like in georgia you know depending on what happens they could lose three cornerbacks this year so juco corner that could come in and be ready to play so uh i uh i don't know if he, if it was like other things going on, if like academics were had any part of it, or if it was just wanting to play with De- for Deion Sanders, like the greatest corner of all time, but I hope he doesn't regret that decision because you know Deion, I have no idea how good of a coach he is. Like I know Kirby Smart has coached like countless first round picks uh, in his time and defensive backs in his time at Alabama and Georgia. Like I know Deion was a super tight corner. I don't know that he knows how to coach corners, but we'll see. What was his record in high school? Because he was a high school coach in Texas for a while. Um, oh, I, I honestly I'm don't curious. know. Uh, but also, it's just fun. Like, I love the rumor when he was in play for the Florida State job. Like, I would have signed up for that all the way. Like, that would have been just so much fun. Um, but we'll see. What I happens. feel like you remember how Gene Chizik, mm-hmm. uh, when he went to Iowa State, he was there for like one or two years and mm-hmm. was like not even good. But he <laughs> had like a history at Auburn. And so they brought him back. It was like I feel like that's almost what what Dion has to do. I feel like Dion just needs to like get a couple years on his resume. Like this is an internship, you know. Like just get it on your resume and say you've been a head coach and at the college level. And then I feel like he can someone if he can be like decent at all, somebody's gonna gonna give him a spot at like a big time program. Or especially who knows what happens with like Florida State in the next few years if they're still struggling. They'll probably bring him in just to like make everything positive. He's a positive guy, positive prime. Um, your current Heisman rankings right now, Matt Green. What's your order? Oh, my current Heisman rankings. Well, you know, my guy Devonte Smith. I feel like people are uh, starting to jump on board with it. Um, I put John uh, Devonte Smith one. Um, honestly, probably Najee Harris too. Um, and then I don't, I don't know who am I missing? Who should be third? Should Mac, I, it's stupid to say Mac Jones is third, but that's you can't honestly, have three Bama players. You can't, but I feel like, are they not like the three most like incredible, like Kyle Trask is, is four. Is he even being considered anymore? Like he's, why he's really are we not, suddenly just discounting his entire season? I, I don't that, understand that's how the Heisman works, man. It's but like, he didn't lose the game. Marco Wilson lost that game. He can't play defense. What is Kyle Trask supposed to do? His numbers I mean, he are. Did throw, he did throw two picks and a pick, one of them a pick six in that game. So he wasn't his. Because he's not his perfect. Defense. Joe Burrow, how many like how many more Which, interceptions did Joe Burrow have than Trask last year? I don't know. Joe Burrow threw like seventy touchdowns, so I feel like you, you allowed it. Trask has forty. 
And no, like, for sure. He's up there, but you know I just how don't understand like why we suddenly, because Marco Wilson threw a shoe, we're like, no, he's out. Like, I don't understand this. I don't understand why Kyle Trask is just like no longer in consideration. It makes no sense to me. No, I mean, he's still in like the top five, but like in the legitimate people, by the way, he threw six picks the whole year and Trask has done five. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they, like it's the same thing. Like, what are we talking I'm saying, about? What, that was, he threw six picks and he's threw 10 games and, and 10 SEC five, games five, and five more games played though. They're all SEC well, games. For sure. Trask is probably three or four. Like, um, I don't know. I like Trask with is the Jason answer Fields for me, and Trevor Lawrence. Like Trevor Lawrence, yeah, he's been good, but like he I feel games. like they haven't done enough. Like I don't know, Brees Hall. He might be in the top five. Mm. Like I guess you give him some love, but I mean, I don't know. Zach Wilson. Who? Who? What's your What's your ranking? Uh, what's one your Trask. Top three, top five. I would go one Trask, two Devonte Smith because like Jalen Waddle going out for the season that feels like forever ago now, but him just stepping right in and being like, I'll just score 15 touchdowns. <laughs> like He's just like, yeah, that's fine. I got it. His one-handed grabs and everything and just easing his way into a number one role and just dominating people. Um, I think it doesn't matter who's in the backfield behind that offensive line. And Najee Harris is great. Don't get me wrong, but like this might be the best Alabama offensive line in the Saban tenure. Like, I think that's a distinct possibility. Mac Jones has all day. Like that is yeah, but I mean we've never punished Alabama running backs for that. Well, like, I'm not. It's not about Mark the other You're asking lines. my perspective, like how <laughs> I would do this. You're asking how I would organize this. Okay. So I don't care how the committee or how people who usually vote organize this. I'm saying from my perspective, I think it doesn't really matter. And they have five stars behind Najee, and they would be the the, the record would be the exact same. Mac Jones or Bryce Young, the record would be the exact same to me. But I think if you were to lose Devonte Smith too. Like, I do think that there is a drop-off where, like, they're susceptible to a loss or two. And I think Devontae Smith just keeping things afloat out wide with Jalen Waddle going down, um, just because of how much gravity Jalen Waddle uh, accumulated and just what he meant to that team and just how good of a player he really is, is just like, I don't know. I think it's understated. So I would probably go one Trask, two, two Devontae, three... Zach Wilson, four Mac, five Najee, maybe. But what what has Kyle Trask done so much better than Mac Jones this I year? I think he's been more dominant, and I think it's a worse offensive line. I think he's made like he is so. It's just he's more dominant with less help. Like it's just really hard for me to give Alabama guys the benefit of the doubt here. If it's between that and Trask, and like Trask is just. He's dom- he, I think he's more dominant. I mean, it's it's hard to say that Mac Jones hasn't been dominant, though, because even the way Trask does it, it's like it seems like, you know, I think their weapons are better for Alabama. But the way Florida does it, it seems like a lot of dinking and dunking and, you know, Tony throw it to Tony and he breaks the tackle, you know, and Kyle Pitts just get a mismatch. A lot of these. You know, well, he's five also played yard, from behind too, right? Like Mac Jones touchdown. isn't having to play in important games. Like we've seen what Trask has had to do playing from behind and like getting over the that's Georgia. Because hump. They dominate so much of the first and second quarter. Like the games don't get close. Like, but that's Florida, what I'm saying. Like, so that helps Trask's argument. Like I think the last few weeks, though, I see. I disagree because, like, he's part of the team that's you know that's messing around with Kentucky, that's messing around with Vanderbilt, and not just blowing them out in the first two quarters you know what i mean he also has a worse defense 
He has a significantly worse defense. He's going into games knowing he has to score 40. And I think they've scored... How many... What is their lowest point total this year? What? Uh, I think I have that in my list. Might be Tennessee. They've yeah, been, 31 against... So the 40 Gators have yet to be held less than 30 points the entire season. I mean, that's true, but it's like... And it's all through Trask. Like, Trask is the engine that could. And people are like, oh, you can put anybody in there. It's like, no, we saw what it was with Felipe Franks. So you have to give him credit for being an absolute assassin in Mullen's offense, because if you take out Mac Jones and you put in Bryce Young, nothing happens. They are the exact same. They're fine. But if you You take out Trask and you put in Franks, this team is not even in the national title conversation. But that's not a legitimate conversation. Like, so if, if Mac Jones backup is a good player, that, that means he's a five-star. He's a five-star player. I mean, he wasn't a five-star. He was, he was a, a decently ranked player like yeah for sure but i'm saying mac jones like when you watch him like he's hitting people deep like he's he's completing 76 percent of his passes Mm -hmm, he's mm -hmm. got 27 touchdowns three picks like and they actually have a running game so like what uh Najee harris is is taking his touchdown but that helps them too because he has a running game trash i know what you mean but if you watch florida's games it when they're on the two and three yard line Five wide and they throw wide receiver screens for like three yard touchdowns. It's like I just feel like those are those are handoffs to Najee Harris for Alabama. Like there's he's got twenty touchdowns. Like Mac Jones, if if they wanted to juice his stats, he could have ten more touchdown passes. You know what I mean? But I feel like they're just dominating people and they like I know I get your point because having a running game and having a really good offensive line takes the pressure off of the quarterback. So like, it's obviously helping him, but you know, that's been the case with every Alabama quarterback and AJ McCarron was in a, at the Heisman ceremony and he had no business being well, there. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why I would just X Jones it all out. Is actually like balling out. He's not just being a game manager. Like he's, he's just dropping dimes all over the field, just like 60 yard bomb, 50 yard bomb. Like they I have an alternative. That, I know what we can do. Go ahead. Let's just give the Alabama offense the Heisman. I mean, you honestly should be. <laughs> like, I think that's how I we solve all of this. Who the best player is like, and it, it's it's stupid to have three players. I mean, the last few years, I feel like they've only had three like people at the ceremony. I guess there's there no ceremony, so they can have as many as they want at the at the Zoom ceremony this year. But um, it seems stupid to have three people on the same team. But they kind of have been the three like most outstanding players in the country. Like Kyle Trask is right there, but. I mean, that LSU loss, that's just, that's, unfortunately, that's like a bad, a bad mark on, on a Heisman resume. You know, it's like, it's not on my kinda, resume, Kyle Trask. They're kind of just, I'll support you. I mean, just two touchdowns, two picks that, that was his worst game of the year. He and had it, bad games and they still no, scored over 30. He was still it's, in it's position to win. bad games and win the Heisman though. It's like, it's, it's like a beauty contest. It's yeah, like, I don't like any of that. Once Sorry. you have any kind of blemish, it's like... It, that's what that's what does it in, especially the the second loss, because I think that you could have legitimately had a claim that like the SEC championship, especially if he's going up against three Heisman candidates and Florida comes out on top. So somehow like I mean, that 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 could still happen. I guess you could make a claim for Kyle Trask to win the Heisman if he balls out on Alabama. But I just I don't see any way that Mac Jones doesn't throw for four, 300 yards and four touchdowns against in the maybe in the end of the first half against this Florida defense. All right. Well, let's get into the Auburn head coaching search. Um, 
stop steel is really funny um it, like we i would encourage people to look up steel's time in baylor if you're like why he's been a really good defensive coordinator why not just uh, give him a shot elevated it's because he was a train wreck um defensive coordinator and him using his leverage to during signing period of like yeah uh you should just hire me because this is a important time you should just give me a shot i, I like him using leverage there but um they should not hire him they should keep him on if he's wanting to stay on sdc but should not hire uh kevin Steele. let him continue on in the bud foster role but if I, he does become the head coach it feels like a coup right yeah it, it really does if i'm an auburn fan i'm like what did we just pay 21 million dollars for gus to go away if we're just keeping steel like what are we doing like that that's an abject disaster if this is what happens here and i feel like that's i guess where the hashtag came from yeah. auburn fans are like this is garbage we that's not who we want but Which, this could happen with tennessee so when people tennessee fans freak out and they're like we want he and we want Pruitt out of here i'm like uh, they could just like promote fucking uh, <laughs> uh jim cheney like i don't know like i don't know what fulmer's gonna do like that wouldn't surprise me and this um, i'm glad you brought up tennessee because this search isn't at that point yet you know we're having like multiple people turn the job down like Cristobal obviously just got that extension but it felt it, Auburn's getting it's guys paid feel, it's yeah right it's starting to feel like that uh like the Tennessee thing like where they how they have the whole social media kind of go turning on Greg Schiano and they basically mm-hmm. prevented that hire from happening yeah it feels also kind of like Texas so Texas keeping Herman where Herman's been on the hot seat every year and Malzahn was on the hot seat every year but like they're floating guys out there and they're talking to Urban and they're seeing they're checking to see who they can actually get to replace them they're like oh I guess there's no one better so we'll run it run it back for another year Auburn was kind of doing that for the last couple years they're like oh Bob Stoops let's see what 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 that looks like and he's like no I'm good in retirement so like all right we'll we'll bring Malzahn back so I, I think they're like, oh, yeah, good. We didn't offer you the job. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> like they're doing that. But like if you're going to fire Malzahn, like my sentiment when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, they must have already talked to the agents. They they know like they talked to Sexton. They already have someone in mind. They they already know who they're getting to replace him because you don't fire Malzahn, who's been really successful for a long time, unless you had his replacement ready to go. And it certainly appears like they did not have the replacement ready to go. Yeah, and that's why it is it's starting to look like a bad just a bad look like you weren't prepared for this like i don't know where we're gonna go but getting the hell out of this guy you know just like it's really interesting to see where where auburn turns at this point um it should still be hugh freeze though right it should probably bruce pearl and hugh freeze were meant to be the the coaches at auburn together like they were just meant for that to be a thing um liam cohen maybe the next joe brady uh assistant with the rams got the offensive coordinator job for kentucky this is really fascinating because kentucky is just like they have a great defense they've kept it close against really good teams in the sec last couple years stoops has done a really really good under the radar job there and their offense has just stunk and if their offense could ever become semi-competent you're like oh they could sneak around and go nine and three they could be the new south carolina during spurrier's era where like they they mess around and when the SEC East once every 10 years or something now or just once period yeah just once, period. <laughs> and Cohen seems like a really interesting fascinating heart like I'm really really interested and I'm kind of nervous about Kentucky with Cohen because this is like one of those outside of the box things that LSU did when they brought in Joe Brady from New Orleans 
and they're going to see what happens. Young, bright offensive mind to fix this awful offense. Like LSU just had this awful offense, the Cam Cameron era. Like, and he came in and immediately fixed it. Cohen could theoretically come in and immediately fix Kentucky's offense. Like, I'm very fascinated and nervous about it. Yeah, I think it's it's an excellent hire. I feel like it's it's the perfect hire for Kentucky because yeah. it's like it's sexy, but like it's it's not like this is some huge name. No one, you know, he's really under the radar kind of person. But you know, a, a guy who's been learning under Sean McVay, I feel like that's a it's a good young coach to maybe change, you know, the perception of Kentucky football couple other quick news and notes bob diaco the best hair in college football will not return in purdue uh he's had five different jobs for the past five years um bob diaco ever since uconn and leaving notre dame has just been year after year not working out anywhere um so he's out uh jimmy chadwell <laughs> i thought a- you were mm-hmm. I, I thought this guy was gonna have a mullet or something i wasn't sure why you're saying it's the best hair <laughs> He just has like a really clean haircut. That's that's hilarious. <laughs> I was expecting like some kind of wild hair when you said that. No, no, that, no. It's actually I'm being genuine. Like it's the it's strongest. Just, it's just a quality haircut. That's it's the funny. strongest hairline in college football. People forget that. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I I dig it. it. Tim or Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz has made a strong play in recent years, so we'll have to see. I'd like to see them side by side to really make a full on comparison. Let's come with those power rankings. Yeah, I will. Next show, I'll, I'll have a power rankings for you. Um, Jimbo will not make the cut. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, seven-year contract to stay at Coastal. He was making three seventy-five this year. Did you see that? Yeah, I mean, that's which is a lot of money that's... for any other average person, but for a FBS one head coach, I was like, "What? That is unbelievable." I guess is the logic behind this just. You might as well lock in, get a big number in there, and then someone's gonna have Auburn gonna have or someone's yeah, gonna have, have to, to pay, pay it to, to get him, get him away. Yeah, good for them. Um, Hinnon Hooker entered the transfer portal, and Dewan Mathis ended up at uh, Temple. Um, yeah, what do you think about all that? Um, I was surprised to see Hinnon Hooker. Uh, I was too. Leave. I'm not. I'm not sure what his overall plan is, like where he's gonna go. You know, he. He's, he's, he's just a pretty limited passer, but he had a great year in terms of uh, rushing numbers. But, uh, yeah, Dwan Mathis, I I was uh, – for to be an Ohio State commit like he was, you know, obviously Georgia Georgia got the raw end of the Justin Fields-Dwan Mathis trade. But, uh, you know, in that first game, it, it seemed like he – that a like, couple first series with Georgia, like he – he, he seemed like an athletic uh, enough quarterback, you know, made, made some decent throws, but had some drops. But then, you know, after he got rocked on the sideline that one time, it seemed like the, from then on in the season, he just was never the same player. So he, he, he got a, another couple chances, you know, against Florida. But he just, I don't know, he just didn't look – this moving to Temple is – that's – that, that's a move that makes sense because he just doesn't he doesn't look like an SEC or like a big time power five quarterback like no no disrespect to Dwan Mathis but uh he was just a pretty limited player all right well are you ready to get into our picks this week Matt yeah let's uh let's do it all you right. want me to uh to start things off yeah where are we going first 
All right, so on Friday night, and I guess you could call this the Pac-12 championship. I feel like before we get into this, should the Pac-12 have just chosen Colorado? Like they're the Colorado is getting the shaft this year. It, like obviously they're not in the Pac-12 North, but if Washington's not going to play, you choose this three and two Oregon team to uh, be in the in the Pac-12 championship. But yeah, so that's that's what it is. Friday night at eight o'clock, USC is a three-point favorite to Oregon. Uh, what are your thoughts about this game in the L.A. Coliseum? I <laughs> USC should have lost on Saturday. Like, they should have lost to UCLA. Um, USC has snuck in. Like, they are very easily a 500 team. USC has not been dominant. They haven't been all that impressive. Slovis is seventh in the nation in passing. Shu is uh, 18th, which was kind of high to me. I, I wouldn't have guessed. Joe Moorhead has flirted with other offensive coordinator jobs. I don't know if you've seen that. So that's kind of interesting. Um, but Slovis, most passing attempts per game in the nation. Oregon's offense has just been eh this season. USC is 38 and 21 all time. Oregon won the last meeting though. I just, there's something off about this Oregon team this year. It didn't all come together. A lot of opt outs. Cristobal just got the extension. They're not really, they don't really have anything to play for here. USC has a lot to play for. Slovis is just going to be really hard to slow down and keep them down. I, I don't think there's going to be an answer for St. Brown on the outside. I, I'm going to say USC wins and covers, but I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Oregon won, but also it's interesting, like Utah, I watched a lot of that game. They outplayed Colorado, and I think Utah's probably the second best team in this conference outside of Washington. I'd like to see that because um, I don't think they played. Did they play? Who's that? Washington and Utah. I don't think they played each other this year. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. But my Utah Utes, I don't think they played. I could be wrong. Um, but if they did, apologies to both schools. Yes, they did play, and Utah lost by three right after Thanksgiving. Um, okay. So there you go. I just I think you USC is probably gonna win here. I, I'm just glad that they're not gonna make the playoff. I'm glad that they are not going to get in with their undefeated season potentially and take a more deserving Notre Dame team or somebody like that out of it. But if we if there is some madness and say they won this game forty one to zero and they looked good, like and it comes down to because honestly I, I have this feeling that they want to like put the Big Twelve champion in there. It just seems like mm. both of those teams have kind of like well, Oklahoma can't get in. But I would they if there was a chance like whatever happens if they're deciding between undefeated USC or two loss Iowa State like who do you think? Neither. I think they're, it's Notre Dame and Clemson. But unless Notre Dame just that's gets probably blown, true. If Notre Dame gets blown out, I guess like Trevor Lawrence makes that big of a difference from TJ ULA like and they win like forty one to seven or something. Then yeah, I guess you got to pull you. I, I'm okay pulling Notre Dame for Iowa State, but like, or even Texas That's- A&M. But I, I don't know. I just, I think it's very. It, it's just I, I would not be comfortable taking Notre Dame out if it's close, like or whoever. Yeah, I think the yeah. more likely to to create chaos is Notre Dame winning, and then yeah. Clemson. Being Clemson's out, out at that point. They have to be out. I think they kind of have to, but yeah, as in terms of this game, um, it's, I, I'm not really sold on this USC team. I feel like, but it's more of an indictment on Oregon. So I'm going USC as well. Um, and then the next one, we'll go to the sec championship. 
Alabama is a 17-point favorite, third largest uh, point spread in SEC championship history. Mm. And uh, I just have a feeling, like, I don't see any scenario that Alabama has less than 28 points at halftime of this game. It could mean it's 28-21. You know, it could be 28-28. Florida could just match them. Alabama might score every minute and a half, and Florida might take five, five, six minutes to do it. But they, their offense is that good that they could potentially match Alabama. But if they don't score every single time, I don't think there's any chance they can they can hang with Alabama because I feel like Alabama's putting up at least forty in this game and maybe even fifty. Like I just Florida's defense has been just so underwhelming all year, and this is like. I mean, we thought the Alabama offenses with Tua were good. This offense seemed, feels better. It feels more unstoppable than any of those offenses did with Tua even. So I'm, I'm taking Alabama with the 17 points. Mm. I think they probably win by even more than that. I agree. I think this is a bad matchup for Florida. Their defense, like Grantham's going to get, like this is probably the end of Grantham in my opinion. I think this is going to get really bad scoring wise. I think Florida's corners have been really bad this season i i think delante smith's gonna have a crazy day they probably shut down Najee harris to an extent but mac jones gonna have all day to throw they're gonna send the house we know what grantham style is and they're not gonna get home and when they don't get home it's one-on-one coverage and they're just gonna get burned a lot i agree with the 28 points of the half i think florida's gonna be playing from behind there's gonna be trash gonna throw for a preposterous amount of passing yards would be my guess but it's just not gonna be enough and i think Bama went something like I'm going to say 56 31 that's almost exactly what I was thinking like a, a 49 I was so like I was like can you predict someone to score 50 points like I don't know I was like 49 28 kind of kind of range like that but um yeah I just I, I felt like Georgia like when Georgia played Florida like Georgia had a lot of injuries and you know say what you want they're kind of undermanned but when Georgia played Alabama, like they were completely at full strength. And I feel like Georgia has very good defensive backs and they got abused by Alabama. So I just I don't see any way Florida slows them down. But um and then moving on to Clemson Notre Dame. Clemson with Trevor Lawrence is a ten and a half point favorite to to beat Clemson and avenge their overtime loss earlier this year. This is in Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. Uh what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, shout out to the Northwestern AD who got the ACC commissioner job. By all accounts, seems like a really good hire for the ACC. Um, I hope sure this is close. I really, really want a great game. I want this to be awesome. And I really am rooting for, uh, like, Notre Dame has not played the same team in the same season twi- twice since 97. I think it was LSU when they last did this. So that's interesting. But I also think Notre Dame's defense is legit. And I don't, I just hate the conversation from a lot of, SEC fans, Matt Green, regarding Notre Dame and their their vitriol, especially in my own family, and just the Brian Kelly is just too good of a coach, and like they would all kill to have Brian Kelly roaming their sidelines. And I'm interested to see Clark Lee taking the Vanderbilt job if that plays a role. Like, is he thinking elsewhere? Um, because he is really good, and he's the guy who's orchestrated this amazing defensive front that gave Clemson a bunch of problems um, when they met in South Bend. He's not um, worried. Vanderbilt's like, hey, man, take all the time you need. We're just here waiting for you. You don't have to get started on the recruiting trail or anything yet. Just do your thing. Which might be the case. Um, I think DJ ULA 
was really good in that Notre Dame game. So I'm just not sure how much of a difference Trevor Lawrence makes on that front because I DJ was good and he made a lot of great throws. And then I was reading about what might look different. And it was actually surprisingly enough, the fact that Lawrence is a lot more of a willing runner and Notre Dame did not have to deal with that with DJ because he was in the pocket a lot more. And Lawrence with the zone reads and RPOs and things like that is going to be a lot more involved in running the football with Etienne and like deciding whether or not to keep it, to pitch it, to go deep. Like I'm very interested to see what Trevor Lawrence does on that front, but I just hope for a good game because I would love to see this happen three times this year. I really would. I'd love to see this team meet one more time in the playoffs. Um, I hope this is close. I hope this is a memorable thing. And uh, I'm a sucker for uh, sequels and trios and just like what this looks like. Cause I think these two teams are evenly matched. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like D- DJ Ugalele, I he did play well in the first in the first uh, time these teams played, and Trevor Lawrence's running ability I think will will change things a lot because that's why Notre Dame won in the, in the first meeting with these teams is I get it was there was essentially like you know playing against Steve Nash like let Steve Nash go for fifty and not get everyone else involved you know what I mean yeah like. They didn't. They they kind of sold out against the run and they shut down the run. Thirty four yards on thirty three carries. Like they absolutely just just uh, bottled up ETN and just uh, DJ had a great game. So, but the biggest thing is Trevor Lawrence didn't give up three hundred yards through the air. He didn't give up two hundred yards on the ground. Like that was Notre Dame's offense against Clemson's defense, and that's still. So I think you know the home atmosphere. I'm sure played a role i don't think it played as big of a role as the spread is suggesting i think clemson does win this game but i'm taking notre dame to cover the spread i think so too i think clemson's gonna win but i'm going to say notre dame covers all right we got a we got some agreeing going on so far um now we go to the big 12 championship uh iowa state first ever big 12 championship appearance they are number six and they are the underdog. Oklahoma at number 10 is a five and a half point favorite in Jerry world. What are your thoughts on this one? Beating Lincoln Riley twice is going to be very difficult for Matt Campbell. Um, what I think is going to decide this game is Oklahoma's run defense that has improved a lot as the season's gone on. In that first meeting, Brees Hall ran for 139 yards, 28 carries, a couple TDs, and Purdy was bad. Like he completed 50% of his passes it was not good, but Purdy's been a lot better down the stretch here for the Cyclones. So if that's the kind of game they get into where it's Purdy versus Rattler, who's also improved a lot down the stretch, the Sooners are winning. If it's more like the first meeting where Brees Hall controls the tempo and they run the ball down OU's throats and OU's offense can't get in rhythm, then I would probably lean towards Iowa State. So I think we'll learn pretty early on which way this is going to go because if Brees Hall's struggling, I, I'm like, okay, let's pack it in. Like They're going to have to throw, and then we're going to see OU's offense win in a, win in a boat race. Um, that is my assessment. So I think that's why OU is favored here is they don't expect OU's run defense to get gashed by Brees Hall again. So I tend to agree, and I am going to go Sooners win and cover. Yeah, and I think even more than Oklahoma's defense making strides, like when, when they played the first time, like that was Spencer Rattler's third start as a college football player. And I think he's definitely taken strides as the season's gone on. So I think Iowa state's been a good story and I'm still not, you know, 
I'm still not sure how complete of a team Oklahoma is. I think they have their flaws as well. But um, I think I think I also like Oklahoma to win this one. So we're just straight chalk down down the down the line so far. And then uh, going to the Big Ten championship. Uh, if it happens, I don't know. That's a whole other story. But Ohio State is a 20-point favorite versus Northwestern. What are your thoughts on this one? If Pat Fitzgerald wins this game, is he like the <laughs> – where do we rank him in coaches? Like where do we rank him in the, the pantheon in current college football coaches? Uh, I feel like he's – I feel like he's one of those guys who's solid but – he's never going to get in like that upper echelon. It's like, you just kind of respect what he's doing. It's kind of like Paul Johnson. Like Paul Johnson was like, had a lot of success for what he was doing, but it's like, he never actually got any real success. You know, it was like, yeah, he's just, he's fine. He's, he's doing a good job by, by the, uh, by all standards, you know, all expectations, like he couldn't be doing better. I don't know. I feel like if he beats Justin Fields and this offense, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson have just been monsters. 70 receptions, 1,100 yards, 10 TDs for the two of them. Um, they just target the shit out of them. Like, their third leading receiver this season for Fields is Jameson Williams, who has 78 total yards. Like, the, that's the game. Like, if Northwestern can't contain those two, it's over. Um, we saw what the bloodbath was a couple years ago with Dwayne Haskins, but it's what, like 45-24 at that point? But different teams... I think Ohio State's offense is actually a lot better this turnaround, and their defense is slightly better. Their defense is not what it was last year, but it is really good still. Peyton Ramsey is just bad. Like I think people have overblown Northwestern's offensive um, expansion since last year when they changed offensive coordinators finally. But I, I just don't think they're going to be able to run the ball against this defense, and I don't think they're going to be able to control this Ohio State offense for long. They'll probably get a turnover or two from Fields, who's been a little bit more susceptible to those this season, but... I, I think Ohio State wins and covers, but I would not be surprised if it's like 17-14 at the half or something, and then they come out and just steamroll them in the second half. Yeah, it seems like Northwestern like play is someone who like would play Ohio State. Like This would be a, a, a candidate to play Ohio State close in the regular season, but it just seems like once everything's all on the line, Ohio State is focused, especially now people are questioning uh, you know the validity of how – you know, their five, their five and O schedule. Like, I feel like Ohio state is just going to come out and like murder Northwestern, honestly, <laughs> like just to make a point, maybe like Wisconsin style 70 to zero or whatever it was with, a uh, with, uh, what was it? Cardell Jones that one year. So Justin Fields has definitely been, uh, you know, a little more susceptible to the turnover this year, but that's really just because he like, didn't turn it over at all last year. I, I don't feel like their running game has been at nearly as consistent as it was last year, and that's probably why you've seen Fields be, I think, a bigger uh, contributor in the run game this year. But yeah, I feel like, you know, it's no disrespect to, to Northwestern. I feel like they've they've had a good a good story so far. They play good defense, but I just don't I don't really see. And Ohio State hasn't been you know flawless. They've given up some points so far, but. I don't really see them scoring too often against Ohio State, and if it and if it gets in any sort of shootout, like that's just the worst thing that could happen for Northwestern. So, I don't see them score. I don't see Ohio State scoring less than like 35, 42 points in this game, and I don't see Northwestern scoring more than fourteen or seventeen. So, I think I think Ohio State wins this one easily. Where are we going next? 
All right, next we are uh, – let's stay with the conference championships. We'll go to the Sun Belt. Coastal Carolina, another rematch. A few – what is this, the third rematch of a uh, championship weekend? Well, Cincinnati and Tulsa should have played back-to-back, but that game got canceled. Yeah, right. That literally should like, have closed the season. They would have had to play right after that um, in the playoff. I wonder if that's why they did it. They're like, we don't need to see this twice. <laughs> Just get your players healthy and we'll play in two weeks. But um, so Coastal Carolina, they they won the first matchup, thirty to twenty seven in Louisiana, and uh, they are a three point favorite again in this one. So what are your thoughts? Louisiana is a really balanced team. Um, Coastal does some cool stuff, obviously on offense. They did some really cool stuff against BYU. I also don't think they would have beaten BYU if BYU had a full week to prepare for them. That is something I've thought about. It's just BYU did a nice thing doing that, um, traveling to Coastal on short, like they were a yard short. Kevin, shout out to Kevin Dyson, the Titans in 99. But like, I, I don't think they were better than BYU. I think if you give BYU a full week of preparation, they probably win that game. Um, That's probably Louisiana fair. Louisiana is solid. I think Billy Napier is probably a more seasoned coach at this point. He's playing for future jobs i i don't think louisiana a team who beat iowa state to open the season is going to lose to this coastal team back-to-back times i think levi lewis has a better game here and throws for under 200 if he gets over 200 yards i think louisiana wins if he doesn't and this coastal black swarm defense or whatever they call it holds him under 200 again then coastal wins i i just don't think napier in this group is losing twice this season to coastal so give me the Cajuns to win and obviously cover. Mm, that's uh, I do like the raging Cajuns, but um, I think this is the year of the Chanticleers, man. I think I think this is what gets uh gets them their New Year's six. Although shoot, Cincinnati's probably probably gonna take their New Year's six bid, huh? Yeah, I they Coastal Carolina deserves a uh, quality bowl. I don't know how good they'll get, but I uh, I've just been a big fan of this offense all year and um. I'm blanking on the quarterback's name. What's his name again? For which one? Uh, Coastal Carolina. Oh, I always forget this dude's name. I was blanking, but he's been super efficient all year and makes plays with his legs. So I, I, uh, I don't see Louisiana shut down this offense. So I'm, I'm going with the Chanticleers. All right, and, where are we going next? And then the next one, like we just said in the American Conference, you know, a lot of steam has kind of died down from the American Conference. They oh, were they Grayson were, McCall, by the way. Grayson McCall, thank you. So. Cincy, Cincinnati and Tulsa, Cincy comes in as a 14 and a half point favorite. And like you said, these two teams were supposed to play a couple weeks ago. They just canceled it. We'll, uh, we'll meet up again later. So uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Cincy's going to win. Cincy's going to cover. Tulsa's offense isn't good. Their defense has been a really good story for them this year. But Cincinnati is 30 and five since 2018. Um top five and winning percentage across the country in fbs one uh luke fickle is not losing this game um that desmond ritter and, and company are going to steamroll tulsa because they have like i would not be surprised if cincinnati with just how pissed off they are at iowa state leaping them they they run up the score so i'm gonna guess like cincy 60 tulsa 21 or something 60 yeah oh man that's that's bold right there i think they're going to drop as many points as they possibly can in this game um yeah i definitely see that they haven't played since november 21st and it's like while while some teams haven't played they haven't gotten punished for it but cincinnati get punished for not playing it's it's kind of weird 
I feel like we've all forgotten how dominant they were before they, you know, haven't played for weeks. So I think Cincinnati is definitely going to come out just especially motivated for this one. And, you know, Tulsa's a, a good team. So I don't know if they, they score 60 or anything, but I definitely see them winning this one, like, handedly. And and probably, like you said, probably Desmond Ritter's probably in there in the fourth quarter throwing touchdown passes or trying to run the score up and get as many style points as they can get. So, uh, yeah, we'll agree with that one as well. And then um, is this a conference championship, San Jose State? Yes, it is. Boise State? Okay. So um, Boise State, six-and-a-half-point favorite at the undefeated. Put some respect on the Mountain West, Matt Gray. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, against the undefeated Spartans, hey, they're not even respecting them. Vegas isn't respecting them yet uh, with Boise being a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? This is hard. Uh, this was, like, the toughest pick of the week for me. Um, Boise is their offense is just as good as it's always been. Um, they lead the the Mountain West in points per game at thirty six point two. They've had to go with a bunch of different quarterbacks this season due to injuries. San Jose State is built around their defense. Matt, what do I always preach on this podcast? Your big offense guy. So where do you think I'm going? Give me the Broncos and the points here. San Jose State, great story. Brennan might get the Arizona job. Would be a great hire for Arizona if that's the way they go. Um, give me Boise State here. I just don't even know why. Like, I would rather just stay where I am and take the Arizona job. Although, I guess they're probably paying him two or three times as much to, to coach at Arizona. Yeah. That pretty much decides everything. But uh, I'm... It's also like it was, if he gets fired, he can just go back. <laughs> like, yeah, just right. like, go back. Just take a payday from Arizona for five years and then just go back to the Mountain West. Yeah, he and he could do that. And um, you being the offensive guy, you'll take Boise State. Unfortunately, this is just like Tulsa and Cincinnati. It would have been a rematch, but we didn't get to see these two teams on the blue turf earlier this year. So uh, give me the defense. I'm uh, I'm I'm digging the Spartans. Give me San Jose State to win to, too. Uh, to win and yeah, cover the spread. Oh wow! All right, and then I lock the, uh, up. Uh, I lock up the. And hold on, the last one or. You, you picked Ohio State, right? Oh, yeah, or did you absolutely. you picked Northwestern? Okay. And then uh, the last one, your, uh, your UT Vols trying to play. This is Spoiler. the dumbest game on the planet. The fact <laughs> that this is happening on Saturday just for some money. Like, this is happening. Dude, I love it, man. Yeah. I wish Vanderbilt just totally killed Georgia. They did canceled you, on Would you really twice. have enjoyed Georgia Vanderbilt? Would you have really? I would have, man. Okay. I feel like. What else am I gonna do for like noon that day? Is, is there any is there any championships on? No, there is a game on at noon. Is there? Yeah, fair enough. I would rather watch Georgia one more time. You know, it's my squad. But although also they canceled on Georgia or postponed it, then played Tennessee a week later and then canceled again. Like I don't. What's going on there? I do this, wish someone would have stepped up. I wish they could have. That's weak. Someone. You like literally just didn't want to play. Well, and, I also like, have seen you? people who are like, oh, Coastal, come play us, and I'm like. Do people understand that a lot of these teams are playing in conference championship games this weekend? They're like Cincinnati. What are you doing? It's like, well, Jordan right. can't play Cincinnati. They they're in the their championship game. What are you talking about? I wish they could play Texas A and M or something. Like we just, we're playing Tennessee, Texas A and M. Tennessee sir. doesn't want to play. They they they'll be they're good just taking the season off. A&M no, you know who Georgia? doesn't want to play is Jeremy Pruitt. Great. Jeremy Pruitt has no interest in this game. Even though that's they, what I'm saying. Well, I mean, there's a lot of like this coming together. The national championship team, the battle of. Former Florida State coaching legends, Jimbo Fisher and Jeremy Pruitt. They were on the staff together when they won the title with Jameis. Oh, yeah, there you go. And then, so yeah, so uh, Georgia, and 
the Georgia wanted to get a game, but they just they, they also didn't want it just anyone anywhere. You know, they they wanted to get one last home game because their whole senior night and everything got canceled. But so to answer your question, I would prefer my team be playing, even if it's not a conference championship. It's still nice to see them one last time. But a uh, and M Tennessee, like what, what <laughs> it is a valid point? Like, what can we learn from this game? Well, Pruitt needs to keep this close. I would say he needs to be. He really needs to keep this close because now that the Caden Salter and everybody's been locked in, that like some of these guys are they're signed. <laughs> like I I don't know if Tennessee can really rise all that much from fourteen in the recruiting class. So it's not like a lot of these people are going to drop out of here. You fire Pruitt, um, and I think a lot of the stuff T and Graham who got in uh, uh, Cody Brown and Caden Salter probably came for a significant portion because of T Martin and Chris Winkie. So like. I, I don't know. I think they need a big game. I think they need to keep this close. Calamon has thrown two picks all the season. Like they lead the do they lead the nation or just the SEC in uh not giving up turnovers? Um I that I do not know. It might just be the SEC, but takes in M, they take care of the ball. Isaiah Spiller has just been a revelation for them. Their offensive line's loaded. They're really sound on defense. Mike Elko has just been great there. Tennessee has the eleventh ranked, I think, t- uh, secondary in the SEC this year um bryce thompson got like player of the week honors i think for or defensive player of the week honors which is really funny to me but uh yeah i just think this is a bad matchup i think tennessee is just going to get buried into submission because they're not going to force any turnovers kellamon doesn't take chances and i think it's just going to be a crock potting where it's going to look really close to the half like the florida game and it's going to be like 17 10 we'll see shroud and mauer and bailey throughout the entirety of this game and then Texan M just breaks away in the second half and wins probably like 30, I'll say 38-14. Okay, so say say Texan M, you know, that exact scenario happens. They win 38-14, and Ohio State has an underwhelming performance against Northwestern. Oh, but when he's not doing that, no. No chance? No chance. Okay. What if it gets canceled? If there's no game... And Which A&M game? just Ohio State or A&M? Yeah, if there's no Ohio State game and A&M just kind of wins. Oh, if there's no know, Ohio State game, I think anybody. Ohio State's out. You think so? I, I don't know. With some actually... of this craziness, people might still be like, "Yeah, they're probably still one of the best four teams." And like, I think I that's know. true. But at some point, you have to play enough games. I I do yeah. think they're out. I, I think For if sure. they don't play, they're out. But yeah, like like you said, with this game, I feel like A&M has something to play for. Tennessee really doesn't, and I feel like they. Thirty-one uh, seven was the was the score that came to my head, but thirty-eight fourteen, I, I kind of like that too. Yeah, I think A and M wins easily. Like A and M and Iowa State are just cheering their ass off for uh, Notre Dame on Saturday. Yeah, if Notre Dame, that's that's the best chance they have to get in. And Iowa State, like, is Iowa State a playoff team? Like, if if Notre Dame wins. So that that puts Alabama one, or say Alabama wins. Alabama one, Notre Dame two. I guess we just assume Ohio State three, three, right? So who do you put in that fourth spot? I would put A and M over Iowa. You put A and M over Iowa State. But I don't think it, that's what would happen. I think Iowa State, if they won the Big Twelve championship, they would get in over Texas A and M. You think Iowa State gets in? I think I, it almost feels like to me if Oklahoma wins, they get in. But if Iowa mm. State wins, like they don't get in. It just there's just, just I think there's a real so strong case that Texas A&M is one of the four best teams in college football this year. Like I think that there's a strong case they beat Florida. Like I, I, I just 
I think there's a strong possibility. But then it's like if they get the four spot, we've already seen Bama, Texas A&M, and we know how that. And went. what do you what do you think about that? Like, because I was about to say the same thing. Like, I think Ohio State is better than A and M, but we have a four team playoff. I would almost rather if if that's what you choose those four teams, I would rather A and M get the three seed and Ohio State get the four seed. So you see Ohio State Bama first round, Notre Dame A and M first round because it would just I don't know it would feel it would just feel like we've already, we've already seen it with A and M Alabama like I would I would hate to have that in the first round like if you can't avoid a rematch it's one thing because you got to rank the teams how you how you think they are but. You know, maybe with Ohio State and the number of games, you can kind of have some leeway. They're like, oh, A&M's body of work is more impressive or something. But I don't know. Would, would you be mad if the committee ranked your team a spot lower and was just like, eh, we didn't want to see a rematch? <laughs> mm. I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting, and I'm excited this is going to happen this weekend because I think it's going to just be a uh, – <laughs> I think it's going to be a cluster, clusterfuck on Sunday based on yeah. how this could go. So I'm excited for the fallout and all the discourse that should be very intelligent and thoughtful and level-headed. So I'm excited for that. Uh, I, I just have a feeling with like this chance at so much chaos, it's going to end up just being Clemson beating Notre Dame. Like We all believe Clemson's better than Notre Dame, even though Notre Dame won. It's just going to be Clemson beating Notre Dame, Ohio State winning the Big Ten, and then it's just going to be those those four teams just get in. Yeah. All right, Matt Green, that's all I've got um, this evening. Um, is there anything you would like to add before we wrap up here? Um, just uh, best of luck to you, sir, on your uh, picks. We'll see uh, We'll see how these standings shake out in the final week. I'm excited. Well, enjoy the weekend, sir. For that guy down there in Dekula, Georgia, Matt Green, for myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee, that is all I've got. Stay safe out there, folks. Until next time. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.